Welcome to Holocaust Histories, the podcast featuring mind-boggling stories from the Holocaust, remarkable tales of heroism and horror that are guaranteed to amaze you. Season 1. In the prime of their lives and careers, boxers' dreams are snatched and replaced by nightmares. Boxing is no longer for money and pride, but for bread scraps and survival. Fighting now takes place in concentration camps. The winner lives another day. The loser is killed. Dive into the astonishing stories of boxers' resilience and courage in the face of incomprehensible terrors. Each episode features a boxer with a different nationality and a unique experience during the Holocaust. Some will live, some will die. They will all fight to survive. Thanks for listening to this episode. Please rate, subscribe, and tell a friend. You can send any questions, corrections, and comments to holocausthistories at gmail.com. This episode contains graphic descriptions and sensitive subject matters. Listener discretion advised. I've learned one thing. You only really get to know a person after a fight. Only then can you judge their true character. Anne Frank Salomo Oroch and Jacko Razon were born and raised in Thessaloniki, Greece, the only city in Europe to have Jews as the majority of the population. Salomo and Jacko would train together at a boxing gym. Salomo became a successful boxer, while Jacko became a professional footballer. With the onset of World War II, both joined the Greek military, and eventually, both were sent to concentration camps, having to fight for their life. The fate of the two was remarkable and similar. So similar that when a movie is made about Salomo's story decades after the war, he would be sued for stealing it from Jacko. This is a story of bravery, resilience, and greed. The story, the story of Salomo Oroch and, and Jacko Razzle. Jacko Razon was born on February 2, 1921 in Thessaloniki, Greece. Many prominent events took place the same year around the world. Agatha Christie publishes her first novel, The Mysterious Affair at Stiles. Warren G. Hardin becomes the 29th U.S. President. The U.S. and Germany sign a peace treaty known as the Treaty of Berlin. Mongolia declares independence from China. Jack Dempsey knocks out George Carpentier to defend his championship boxing title. Babe Ruth sets the home run record with 59 in one season. And Bessie Coleman is the first African-American woman to hold a pilot license. About two years later, on January 1st, 1923, also in Thessaloniki, Greece, Salomo is born. The same year, Hitler stages a demonstration with 5,000 stormtroopers and attempts to overthrow the government, only to be arrested. The Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun's tomb is found. Time magazine publishes their first issue, while Brinks unveils the first armored security van. Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments premieres in the United States. Helen Wills Moody wins the U.S. Open, the first of her seven U.S. single crowns. A 7.9 magnitude earthquake kills 142,000 people in Tokyo and Yokohama, and the first dinosaur eggs are discovered in the Gobi Desert. 
Thessaloniki held the largest Jewish population in Greece between the 15th and 20th centuries. Most emigrated from Spain, and by 1680 there were about 300 Jewish families living there. It was the only city in Europe where the Jews were a majority of the total population. The city was ethnically diverse and international. In 1890, the population reached 118,000. 47% were Jewish. 22% of the population was made up of Turks, 14% Greeks, and 8% Bulgarians. 23 years later, eight years before Jacko was born, the population rose to 158,000. The Jewish majority was now at 39%. Greece officially entered World War I in June 1917 by removing their neutral stance and siding with the Allies in a battle against Germany, Austria-Hungary, Turkey, Bulgaria, and Italy. Thessaloniki quickly became a hub for the Allied troops, with an estimated 100,000 soldiers, mainly French and British. August 18, 1917, a Saturday afternoon around 2.30 p.m. Inside a small house at 3 Olympiados Street, a housewife was frying aubergines. Sparks began to fly and forage was caught on fire. The house occupants couldn't dispose of the fire. Water reserves were limited due to a drought that summer. The fire quickly spread with the help of strong winds, high temperatures, and the narrow streets lined with wooden houses. The neighborhood was surrounded in flames. It crawled to the city center and eventually reached the coastal areas. The police station in the city would be one of the first to burn to ash. The fires would continue to spread for more than 24 hours, eventually stopping the evening on August 19th around 11.30 p.m. The inaction of government troops and fire squads caused the fire to grow. Many used this opportunity for looting, especially the French forces. Some French soldiers went into a winery to steal goods. They became trapped and died, engulfed by the fire. Remarkably, no one else died from the fire directly, but many lives would be in ruin, just like their homes and valuables. Approximately 79,000 people went homeless from the fire, about 45% of the registered population, 50,000 being Jews, 12,500 Christians, and 10,000 Muslims. The fire did not discriminate. 32% of the city was destroyed. 16 out of the 33 synagogues in the city were demolished, as were nine mosques and two churches. Wealthy shop owners lost the most because their shops were in the city center, which was one of the hardest hit areas by the fire. The monetary damage was approximately 8 million gold pounds, not including monuments. Thessaloniki went without electricity for the next 10 days. 800 families were placed in 100 temporary homes. British forces set up camps with 1,300 tents. They housed 7,000 people. The French housed another 400 families. Distribution spots were set up to provide around 30,000 people free bread. Rail transit was given to anyone who wanted to leave for another Greek city. 5,000 people left for Athens and other cities. Those who remained had to wait until June 29, 1918, for the city to begin reconstruction, as the government was not permitted to do anything before then. They wanted to redesign the city to be modern and cosmopolitan. They enlisted the help of well-known European architects. 
The project was led by Frenchman Ernest Abard. The city rebuild was deemed a success, and the population soon flourished. On October 11, 1922, during the Greco-Turkish War, Greece was defeated by the Turkish nationalists. The following year, a population exchange occurred between Greece and Turkey, involving over 1.6 million people, most of whom were forcibly deported based on religious identity. This exchange was described as legalized ethnic cleansing. A large portion of the exchange occurred between native Orthodox Christians of Turkey and native Muslims of Greece. The Jewish population of Thessaloniki was now a minority for the first time since the 14th century. It was around this time in metropolitan Thessaloniki that Jacko and Salomo would be born. Just two years apart and both being Jewish, they became friends. Salomo's father was a longshoreman and fisherman. The two, along with Salomo's brother Avram, briefly worked together on the docks. Salomo had a love for boxing and his father taught him at a young age. Salomo trained and sparred with his friend Jacko at the Jewish Youth Center. By 1937, at the age of 14, Salomo won his first amateur boxing match by knocking his opponent out twice. Two years later, at the age of 16, he had a record of 24 wins and zero losses with 24 knockouts. Salomo was just 5 foot 6 but packed a powerful punch. He was also very agile and quick on his feet. His style was quite traditional, jabbing and crossing, but he would become known as the ballet dancer because of his fancy footwork. He became the middleweight champion of Greece and a member of the Greek Olympic boxing team, although they would never compete due to the outbreak of the war. Jacko continued to box but put his focus on professional football. He became the goalkeeper for the Olympiakos, a Greek National League team. Jacko's success was also uprooted with the start of the war. The two served for the Greek military, and while there, Salomo participated in three boxing matches, winning all three by knockout. At the start of the war, Greece maintained neutrality. They hoped to avoid a German invasion. On October 28, 1940, the Greek Prime Minister, the right-wing general, Ioannis Matuxas, officially refused to join the Italian forces in the Axis powers. Matuxas' regime was also responsible for banning anti-Semitic organizations. Their enemies were considered Bulgarians, communists, and other political groups. Italian dictator Benito Mussolini retaliated the same day as the refusal. Mussolini immediately invaded Greece via occupied Albania. Thessaloniki was bombarded in November of 1940 by Italy, killing about 230 people and wounding about another 870. The Greeks were greatly outnumbered by the Italians. However, within weeks, they managed to push the Italians back to Albania. Hitler was humiliated after one of his main allies, Italy, was defeated. Metaxas died on January 29, 1941, due to a bacterial infection. He was replaced by Alexandros Kerizis, a governor at the Bank of Greece. Unlike Metaxas, he accepted British military assistance, which provoked Hitler to order an attack on Greece. With the aid of Romania, Hungary, and Bulgaria, German troops invaded Greece on April 6, 1941. The Greek military was reinforced by British, Australian, and New Zealand forces. Ultimately, the Greek military was overtaken. 
By April 8th, Germany did what Italy could not do. They seized Thessaloniki. Five days later, Hitler issued his occupation policy for Greece, splitting it between Axis powers. Greece was now ruled by mainly Germany, Italy, and Bulgaria. Many British and Commonwealth troops escaped the captured cities. A great number went to the island of Crete. On April 18th, Carizes killed himself by gunshot. A week later, Hitler signed Directive 28. This ordered the invasion of Crete. Hitler wanted to capture the island to use as an airfield for supplies and reinforcements. He also knew there was an Allied presence there he was hoping to wipe out. By April 27th, Germany had reached Athens, capturing 7,000 British troops. They infamously raised the swastika flag over the Acropolis. On May 20th, 1941, the Battle of Crete ensued, as they would be invaded by German paratroopers. This included 750 glider-borne troops, 10,000 paratroopers, and 5,000 airlifted mountain soldiers. They also had 7,000 seaborne troops, along with 11 Italian submarines. Greek and Allied forces and Cretan civilians defended the island from the overpowering German troops. The garrison on Crete was made up of 15,000 Brits, 7,750 New Zealanders, 6,500 Australians, and 10,200 Greeks. Germany faced great resistance from a civilian population, something they did not expect. Armed with kitchen utensils or barn tools, many Germans were stabbed or clubbed to death. Cretans would use weaponry from dead German soldiers. On one occasion, an old Cretan man beat a parachutist to death with his walking cane as he was tangled upon landing. Another occurrence saw a local priest and his son break into a village museum to take two rifles. They then sniped at paratroopers at landing zones. Citizens of Enogia placed boulders on drop zones, preventing paratroopers from landing there. After more than 10 days of war, Germany was victorious in the Battle of Crete and occupied the island. It's estimated 8,500 Cretans, 7,000 Germans, and 1,700 British died. British evacuation and full surrender occurred on June 1st. Over 50,000 troops and civilians escaped, many to Egypt, and over 5,000 surrendered to German and Italian forces. 500 Commonwealth troops stayed to fight. They were scattered around the island and caused as much disruption to the Germans as possible. On June 2nd, 1941, the day after taking control of Crete, the Nazis began mass killings of Cretans. This was by order of Hermann Göring and followed by General Kurt Studen. 42 citizens of the village of Alikianos were marched to a churchyard and shot in groups of 10 in front of their relatives. In nearby villages, another 37 Cretans were reported as executed. The village of Kondinos was torched and burned to the ground the next day. All the survivors of the fire were killed. 180 civilians were dead. One month later, on August 1st, 118 people were gathered by a bridge over the Kuritis River. They were forced to dig a grave and were then shot dead. Back in Thessaloniki, Jews were forced to turn in their radios and were prohibited from entering cafes and other establishments. Synagogues and libraries were ransacked. 
Jews were being arrested by the Gestapo, some sent to concentration camps. The Jewish hospital had been turned into a Nazi garrison. The winter of 1941 saw a massive famine which killed over 100,000 people. It's estimated between 1941 and 1942, around 60 Jews in the city died from hunger every day. On July 11, 1942, the Nazi party rounded up 9,000 Jews of Thessaloniki, as young as 10 and old as 45. Detained inside of the city center square, they were forced to do exercises at gunpoint in the blazing heat. The event became known as Black Saturday or Black Shabbat. About 3,000 Jews were ordered to forced labor building a road. Less than three months later, 12% of them had died from exhaustion and diseases such as malaria. The Thessaloniki Jewish community negotiated with Germans to have prisoners released. Germany's ransom amount was $3.5 billion. With help from the Athens Jewish community, Jews of Thessaloniki generated $2 billion. Germany agreed but also took control of the Jewish cemetery in the city, which contained 400,000 graves. They demolished many tombstones and used the concrete for building materials. Vitel Hassan was the head of the Jewish police in Thessaloniki. There he oversaw 200 unarmed local Jews. His crew accommodated the German occupying forces. Vitel raced through the ghetto in a horse-drawn carriage and made his fellow Jews sweep the streets. He strut about wearing Nazi boots to knock down both doors and people. He carried around the ghetto an open bag in which women and men were expected to place what jewels or money they had managed to hang on to. He identified young men to the Nazis who were then forced into labor. Vitel saved the worst of his cruelty for girls and women. He forced them to strip naked, shaved their heads, raped them, and pimped them to others. Buena Sarfati Garfinkel was a 35-year-old Jewish woman. She brought families messages from labor camp prisoners. She also helped distribute soup to the hungry. She and her sister brought bread and water to the prisoners that were marched past their house. Buena wrote, The Germans took everything. The fish merchant does not have fish. The butcher does not have meat. The baker does not have bread. Buena's best friend was forced to marry Hassan's brother. One day Hassan beat on Buena and forced her to drink large amounts of powdered milk. She became severely ill. The next day she planned to get married to her fiancé. When she arrived at the synagogue, she found her soon-to-be husband dead. Hassan had informed the Nazis that her fiancé, Chaim, had escaped from his forced labor camp. Buena was arrested and sent to Pablo Mela prison in the local Nazi headquarters. Disguised as a German officer, a partisan arrived with release papers. Buena had escaped and would spend the rest of the war saving lives. The partisan who had rescued her had been captured, tortured, and killed. Buena married Max Garfinkel in 1946. He was a member of the Jewish underground. They moved to Montreal the following year and settled. She passed away on July 23, 1997. Her renowned needlework and poetry lives on. In October 1944, when Greece was liberated, Hassan was captured by the British and sent back to Greece. A trial found him guilty in the summer of 1946. He was sentenced to death and executed. Jacko was arrested by the Gestapo in 1942 and sent to the Baron Hirsch ghetto. 
The ghetto had wooden walls and was surrounded by barbed wire and watchtowers. Jews were given less than a month to move into the ghetto. It had just 593 rooms. Their properties were then confiscated and they were now homeless, occupants of the Hirsch ghetto, rampant with disease and devoid of hope. Opposite of the ghetto was a train station. Trains departed for Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen, two concentration camps. There were 18 trains to Auschwitz and just one for Bergen-Belsen. The horrific train journey to Auschwitz took between five and eight days. Many died along the way largely due to starvation. The crammed trains held over 80 people per wagon. Jews from the Hirsch ghetto started being deported on March 15, 1943 to concentration camps. Vitel aided the Nazis in deporting the Jews. Jacko and Salomo were two of the 48,533 Thessaloniki Jews deported to Auschwitz. Wagons carried between 1,000 and 4,000 people. Less than 4% of Thessaloniki Jews survived. About 37,000 were sent to gas chambers on arrival. Others were selected for experimentation and forced labor. SS doctors conducted selections, where incoming Jews were told to go left or to go right. Those considered able to work were sent into the camp, while those deemed unfit for labor were sent the other direction, being immediately killed in the gas chambers. Families that managed to stick together to this point were now being torn apart. Almost all children, women, elderly, and disabled were deemed unfit by the Nazi doctors. Nazi human experiments at Auschwitz were led by the Nazi captain and chief physician, Joseph Mengele, aka the Angel of Death. Mengele didn't use anesthesia and subjected the experimentees to horrific acts. He specifically looked for twins, pregnant women, disabled, dwarves, and people with a heterochromatic condition, meaning two different eye colors. Some of the experiments conducted on prisoners included the sewing of twins together, approximately 1,500 sets, unnecessary amputations, injecting diseases, sometimes bacteria directly into the bone marrow, and sometimes malaria into their veins. The prisoners were subjected to vasectomies and vivisections. Teeth and organs were extracted. Chemicals were injected into eyes with the goal of changing eye color. They were intentionally exposed to mustard gas and phosphorus, which caused severe chemical burns. A boy aged around 11 was strapped to a chair so he couldn't budge. Above him was a mechanized hammer that dropped down, banging his head. The boy was driven insane from the torture. Around 300 victims were forced into freezing conditions, sometimes into ice-cold water for three hours. Some of the victims were thrown into boiling water afterwards. One experiment saw a group of victims, 90 Roma at one point, deprived of food and only to be given seawater to drink. A low-pressure chamber was built to simulate conditions at altitudes of up to 68,000 feet, 21,000 meters, almost three times as high as Mount Everest. 80 of 200 subjects died from the experiment, while the others were sent to the gas chamber. Salomo and his family arrived at Auschwitz on March 15, 1943. He was tattooed as prisoner 136954. His mother and sister were sent to the gas chamber upon arrival. His father was too ill to work and was killed. 
His brother refused to pull gold from the teeth from the ashes of the crematorium ovens. He too would be killed. During the selection process, an SS guard asked if any prisoners were boxers. Salomo raised his hand. At 5 foot 6 and 135 pounds, the officer wasn't convinced. He put together an impromptu boxing match. He drew a circle in the dirt, forming a boxing ring. His first fight was against a fellow prisoner named Chaim. Salomo won by knocking him out in the third round. 20 minutes later, he was forced to fight again. His opponent was from Czechoslovakia and was much larger and stronger. That didn't stop Salomo from knocking him out with one punch to the stomach. Salomo now found out that the loser was to be beaten and shot dead. He continued to box around two to three times a week, always exhausted and starving. He was working 16-hour days from 4 a.m. until nightfall. Salomo said, For many, it was better to be dead than to endure another day of suffering. One of Salomo's boxing opponents was a 6'6", 250-pound Sinti, who held a 1'120-pound 1 advantage over Salomo. It took just 18 seconds for Salomo to knock him out. The Nazis developed a hatred towards him because of his fighting success. The exception was to those SS guards who won money betting on him, including the camp commander. Salomo won approximately 208 fights while imprisoned. He would draw twice, but the camp commander excused him of death on these instances because he was making so much money off of him. Jacko was sent to Auschwitz on April 6, 1943. He was tattooed as prisoner number 115264. Jacko, like Salomo, would opt to box in order to increase his chances of survival. Jacko continued to win in the ring and was nicknamed the Iron Man. As long as the winning continued, they would be given extra food rations, better living conditions, and better work placement. Jacko used his position in the kitchen, often washing pots, to steal food and distribute it among his friends. Jacko remained undefeated in fights for two months at Auschwitz. He was then transported to Monowitz, a labor subcamp of Auschwitz. Fellow boxer and Jew, Victor Perez, was in prison there at the same time. Jacko continued to box at Monowitz, although never fighting Victor, but training with him. The two trained with 12 other boxers. Jacko won over 120 fights in concentration camps. By August of 1943, the deportation of the Baron Hirsch ghetto was completed. There were no Jews left in the city. A small group of Jews, about 500, escaped to the mountains where they joined rebellion forces. Jack Kakis was sent to a labor camp and escaped to join these forces. After the war, he said, In order to survive this, we have to do two things. One is to avoid the Germans when it's possible. If we can't avoid the Germans, we should go and fight them. In the years 1943 and 1944, they accounted for a significant proportion of the workforce of Birkenau, an extermination camp of Auschwitz. There was approximately 11,000 Thessaloniki Jews. In August of 1943, because of their unfamiliarity with Yiddish, Jews from Greece were sent to clean up the rubble of the Warsaw Ghetto in order to build a Warsaw concentration camp. Among the thousand Selenikan Jews sent, a group of 20 managed to escape, 
They joined a Polish resistance group, the Armia Krajowa, which organized the Warsaw Uprising. Another mass killing occurred on Crete. It was to be known as the Vienos Massacres. Between September 14th and 16th of 1943, over 500 civilians were rounded up and executed. This was ordered by General Friedrich Wilhelm Müller, aka the Butcher of Crete. This was in retaliation to the attacks from the Cretan resistance. It was the second deadliest massacre during the occupation of Greece, the deadliest being the Calavrata Massacre on December 13, 1943. Nazi firing squads killed around 693 Greeks. The Germans were fed up with the Nogians not complying to work laws. Such laws stated that 500 men should present themselves every day to work for the Germans. Many citizens were shepherds and could not leave their flocks. Many others simply refused to work for the Germans, who then cut the requirement in half to 250 men a day, but it was still not met. During the occupation and battle of Crete, Enoigians were numerous among the resistance fighters. On August 7, 1944, the Nazis kidnapped a group of Enoigians. While being marched to a new location, the German troops were ambushed by Enoigian guerrillas, killing all of the Nazis and saving the villagers. The following day, with the help from British troops, they carried out what is known as the Damasta Sabotage, killing 35 Germans and 10 Italians. Friedrich Wilhelm Müller responded to the attacks by saying, We order Anoigia's complete destruction and the execution of every male person of Anoigia who would happen to be within the village and around it within a distance of one kilometer. This order was given on August 13, 1944, six days after the Damascus sabotage. Between August 13 and September 5, the Germans proceeded to imprison civilians, steal livestock, demolish houses, and murder villagers. Anoigia was completely destroyed. 200 German troops entered. They forced women and children to march 30 kilometers, 19 miles, to the village of Parama to finally be dispersed in other regions. 25 villagers refused to abandon their homes. They were shot dead. The abandoned houses were looted, burned, and finally dynamited. The destruction continued for 23 days. Over 940 houses with 4,000 inhabitants were destroyed. 100% of the housing and livestock were gone. The Butcher of Crete ordered the destruction of nine more villages on Crete. Over 165 people were killed in what would become known as the Holocaust of Kedro. The British and Greek special forces were frequently raiding the Germans, as was the Greek resistance. They soon had support from the Soviet army. The German forces evacuated mainland Greece in October of 1944. Here, the British forces dock at a small harbor near Piraeus. A few hours earlier, Greek partisans stormed the capital in a surprise attack. Now these Tommies, together with Polish troops and the Greek regular army, converge on Athens. This is a moment the people of Greece will never forget. Crowds gather round the Allied soldiers and hail the forces of liberation. For three years, the people of Greece have been fighting a ruthless invader. Today, freedom returns to its ancient home. In 1944, Salomo faced his toughest opponent yet, Claus Silber. 
Silber was born a Jew in Dieseldorf, Germany. Before the war, he had an amateur boxing record of 44 wins and zero losses. He had won over 100 fights in Auschwitz. The fight between the two was bloody and ferocious. The SS guards were ecstatic. Silber stunned Solomo with a punch and then knocked him down. To the surprise of the onlookers, Solomo recovered and knocked Silber out, winning the fight. Silber was never seen again. The SS moved Solomo from slave labor to office work. The job was indoors and far easier. As the Soviet troops closed in on Auschwitz, the Nazis began a series of death marches. Victor Perez died on a march to the new subcamp of Gliwitz. Jacko survived the same march, along with another, to Dora Middelbau, a subcamp of the larger Buchenwald. Jacko continued to fight there. Between October 1944 and March 1945, around 16,000 arrived from death marches. Approximately 6,000 of them died. On April 3rd and 4th, the camp and the surrounding area were attacked by British Air Forces. Roughly 9,000 of the 40,000 people were killed. This included 1,500 prisoners. Under attack, the Nazis forced prisoners of Dora Middelbau on cattle carts and sent 15,000 prisoners to Bergen-Belsen, half being Russian and Polish. Thousands were sent to other concentration camps, including Nuingame. Out of the 15,000 prisoners, only 4,000 survived the transports and arrived at the camps. Jacko was amongst them. He arrived at Bergen-Belsen. Salomo was also arriving at Bergen-Belsen around the same time, via Auschwitz. By the time the U.S. troops liberated the Dora Middelbau camp on April 11, 1945, it was nearly emptied by the SS. Just hundreds of prisoners remained, clinging on to life. The death toll was approximately 20,000, about one in three. On April 13th, two days after liberation, 1,016 slave laborers being transported, mostly Poles, were forced into a large barn. It was barricaded and then set ablaze. Some would dig under the walls with their hands, only to peer out of the barn to be shot dead. The dead bodies and what was left of the barn were discovered two days later by the US 102nd Infantry Division. One of the soldiers stated, I never was so sure before of exactly what I was fighting for. Before this, you would have said those stories were propaganda, but now you know they weren't. Eleven had survived the burning and were found alive by the US troops. Seven Poles, three Russians, and one French. This would become known as the Gardelegen Massacre. A week later, the local commander of the 102nd Division, Frank A. Keating, ordered 250 citizens from the town of Gardelegen to bury the dead prisoners. They placed each body in an individual grave and held a ceremony honoring the dead. At Bergen-Belsen, Salomo and Jacko were scheduled to fight. However, this match would not take place and the two would never meet in the concentration camp. On April 15, 1945, two days after Dora Middelbau was liberated, the 63rd Anti-Tank Regiment and the 11th Armored Division of the British Army liberated about 60,000 prisoners at Bergen-Belsen. Salomo and Jacko had both survived. More than 13,000 corpses were discovered at Bergen-Belsen. One British soldier stated, The bodies were a ghastly sight. Some were green. They looked like skeletons covered with skin. The flesh had all gone. 
there were bodies of small children among the grown-ups. In other parts of the camp, there were hundreds of bodies lying around, in many cases piled five or six feet high. Over 60,000 people had died at Bergen-Belsen, including 13,994 people within two months after liberation. Like the citizens of Gardelegen, the SS were ordered by British troops to bury the bodies. Due to a louse infestation and typhus outbreak, the camp was then burned to the ground. 96 medical student volunteers were sent from Britain to offer what help they could to survivors. Salomo was searching Bergen-Belsen for his family, among the survivors, corpses, and everything in between, unaware of their deaths. He did not find them. He asked the British troops if they had any boxers who would fight him. They arranged two fights in which Salomo won both by knockout. He met another Salonikan survivor, 17-year-old girl, Marta Yakael. The two wed the following year. They had four children and settled in Israel. On June 8, 1955, he boxed once more professionally in Tel Aviv, Israel. He suffered a fourth-round knockout loss to Italian boxer Amleto Felcinelli. After retirement, he opened up a shipping business in Tel Aviv and gave inspirational speeches. After liberation, Jacko was sent to a temporary displacement camp in Sela, Germany. He returned to Greece and lived in Athens until 1946, when he would move to Mandatory Palestine. Around 2,000 Thessaloniki Jews survived the war, less than 4% of the community. Around 500,000 Greeks died during World War II. Friedrich Wilhelm Müller, the Butcher of Crete, surrendered to the Soviet army in 1945. He was convicted by the Greek military court for war crimes. He was sentenced to death on December 9, 1946, and executed by firing squad on May 20, 1947, the anniversary of the German invasion on Crete. After the war ended, Joseph Mengele went on the run. He eventually escaped from Germany on April 17, 1949. He obtained a fake passport and sailed to Argentina in July of 1949. Mengele suffered two strokes in the 70s. The second occurred on February 7, 1979. He would drown while swimming and die. You can check out the book The Rat Line by Philippe Sands to learn more about the Nazi escape route to Argentina. In 1989, over 44 years after being liberated, Salomo and Jacko crossed paths once again. A movie about Salomo's experience was being filmed, starring William Defoe as Salomo. The filming of the movie was done on location in Auschwitz. Salomo joined the film crew and the actors and provided consultation for the film. It was titled The Triumph of the Spirit and was released on December 8, 1989. Shortly after, Jacko ended up suing Salomo and the producers for $20 million, claiming they stole his story. The two settled out of court for $30,000. Today there are around 1,200 Jews living in Thessaloniki, making it the second largest Jewish community in Greece, second to only Athens. Jacko died on July 9, 1997 from natural causes. Salomo died from complications of a stroke on April 26, 2009.
Thanks for listening to this episode. Please rate, subscribe, and tell a friend. You can send any questions, corrections, and comments to holocausthistories at gmail.com.